I don't think it means it's like never use cis to describe yourself. You know, I might I go know, that like, far. I might go that far. Really? To be honest. Yeah. Well, because I think, for instance, I just can't if, think of an example if I'm when talking it's about like my access to privilege, mm, okay, I'm going sure, to acknowledge sure, sure. I, am I have a, privilege as a yeah. cisgender person. Sure. Right. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But you want some out of the box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking about labels. Wait, we're millennials. We don't do labels. You're JK. almost not a millennial. I'm almost not a millennial. Uh, no, labels, they're like frenemies or like the force. There's a dark side and a light side to them. And there is a ton of way to use labels for evil or for good. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the holy trinity of labeling, which is labeling our sexuality, labeling our genders, and labeling our relationship styles. Holy trinity. Did you just say the holy trinity? I sure did. I, you have really Crossover been getting, episode. yeah, you've been really getting way too into Jesus and stuff, and we're not even there yet on um, drunk Bible study. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I would call these three sections of one's identity um, the holy trinity, because there's many, many ways and many, many labels that you can apply to many different facets of yourself. I'm That's saying the true. holy trinity about these because these are the ones I feel like are debated a lot. That like, is true. People right. don't, although, although I will that. say at work the other day, we did have a very long debate at lunch about the difference between a nerd and a geek. Yeah, see. So, yes, what but is the most difference? of the time, though, people see? have more serious arguments uh, and discussions about these sorts of labels than those sorts of labels. I declared myself the only nerd at work today because um, I was the only one who watched Game of Thrones. Everyone else was like, uh, and I'm like, who are you people? This is a cultural freaking phenomenon right okay, now. OK, OK. I would take umbrage with that. And I would argue that means that's not a good enough basis to call you a nerd because it is a cultural phenomenon. Okay, be that as it may. I would still call you, you a nerd because yes, you, you are. Into, yes, you would. You are Thank you. Into video games <laughs> and nerdy stuff. Yes. Many nerdy things. Uh-huh. I'm glad. But anyway, or, this or was about be the geek. difference between nerd and geek. Yes. And that's, that's the thing, actually. We did find some science behind it, which was kind of cool. Well, what's the difference? Um, well, see, it's going to spark a whole thing. All right, but fine. I mean, people, y'all can go discuss it in the patron group. But basically, the essence of the distinction is that a nerd, a nerd is about essentially like learning about a thing that you're into, mm-hmm. whereas a geek is about doing the thing that you're into. Okay, and, uh, and where does the science some, come in? The science was actually done based off of um, just analyzing how those words are used in social media, like collecting uh, examples of them and then tabulating so and making based like, on, like uh, actual usage. Actual usage, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, is that would reading count? Like because you're learning about something, it would be like you're learning about Tolkien or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's. It's all, you know, again, it's based on how they're used. But the idea being like, what would it be? Like someone who is like, I guess like 
I don't know, maybe the difference would be like a Tolkien nerd mm -hmm. is someone who like reads a lot and likes to like put together or, you know, like learn about the genealogies and stuff like that. Whereas uh -huh. like a Tolkien geek would be someone who like actually learns to speak Sylvan or, uh, okay. or right. Orcish or write like one of the Tolkien languages or like, actually makes genealogies of the characters or something like that. That's it's you can be both, I think, okay. but it's uh, you kind of bleed into that. Anyway, I can buy that. Anyway, we're already five minutes into the episode, still talking about this stuff. If any of you are watching the YouTube video, there's a very large dog who's determined to be in our podcast today. Yeah. Um, so you can tune into the YouTube if you want to get a little glimpse of this very large but very cute dog. Um, let's just dive right in and talk about our sexualities. How do you all feel about that? Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. We want to start that as the first topic here. Okay. I'm going to start us off real poetic like. Cool. If that's okay. Yeah. You do that. So there is this queer theorist <laughs> named okay. David Halperin, um, okay. who's done a lot of writing on this kind of stuff. And he has this great quote, um, uh, sex has no history because it's grounded in the functioning of the body. And he kind of distinguishes that sex itself doesn't have a history, but what does have a history and therefore a lot of words and a lot of labels surrounding it is sexuality which is something that's a product of culture. Mm. So like our whole concept mm. of sexuality is just this collection of meanings that human beings have attributed to sex acts and to the people that do them over the course of century, millennia, however yeah. long human beings have been having sex and had the wherewithal to comment on it. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, that's interesting. Which I think is interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And probably at one point or another, because I think that, yeah, it, we, I was watching Deadwood and uh, it's an HBO show. And, and like, you know, there are various people on the show that sleep together that are not it, like two women will sleep in the same bed together. And my partner was like, oh, well, that used to just be called like bedfellows. Like, this is my bedfellow, mm -hmm. um, which didn't mean anything necessarily sexual, although potentially it could. Well, that was something that I remember came up in Carrie Jenkins' mm. book about, you know, before we labeled particular relationships as, like, lesbian, yeah. or before we attributed any form of homosexuality to women, like, that that there are a lot of references within like, for instance, like Victorian era literature and journals of women who are very affectionate with each other that we, with our modern day view, look at it and think of like, Oh, there's some kind of they same sex be, attraction going on into each other. Or yeah. They must be into each other. And maybe they were, maybe they weren't the thing is that there wasn't even a word. Yeah. Like it wasn't even in the vernacular to even acknowledge it or talk about it. And well, and the ancient Greeks, right. Did like the same thing. Isn't that the, the thing that people throw around all the time? Like, ancient greeks would be interested in or or not necessarily like even interested in but just know, like, like they sleep. would have sex they would have yeah. like orgies and stuff like that and sleep with their apprentices right. or whatever right right or your yeah. slaves or of or your sure. or yeah. your fellow soldiers or yeah. whatever right? or the yeah. same yeah. sex yeah. 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 yeah so okay why is it scary to label oneself and like it, it, we've talked about this we were laughing about this earlier like Okay, what labels do we use in order to like proclaim to the world what kind of people you prefer to have sex with? 
Which yeah, is it is like kind of it's really abstract ridiculous and absurd yeah. when you think about it that way absolutely um, I, well i don't know do you think that there's different types of people i feel like i'm definitely a type of person where i feel more scared by attributing labels to myself but i think there's other types of people who feel much more affirmed or excited by the idea of labels mm-hmm. and and also i think yeah. that could change depending on what time of life you're in what time of life you're in well okay i just think about <laughs> this is really ridiculous but i think back uh-huh. to like middle school and high school when we're all trying to figure out our identity and who mm-hmm. we are and mm-hmm. what kind of person we are that's all very much in a state of flux i remember there were always like my friends who would just uh really cling to labels really quickly mm-hmm. and even little silly li- labels like oh i'm a surfer i'm a skater mm-hmm. i'm a right. i'm a punk rocker i'm a goth yeah. you know yeah, um but we're super excited by that because it was kind of this idea of its community and its belonging. And it's a way that I can project to the world and let the world know how they're supposed to treat me or how they're supposed to see me. Sure. Um, and I, don't, yeah. I was never that type of kid. I was much more like, eh, I don't think I qualify for what, these you, things. What, you never were like a, a nerd or something? No, sure. Like, sure. I was nerdy and I was into some punk rock stuff and like maybe some goth stuff, really? but maybe some, some punk but rock never, stuff. never like, Okay to give a very long circuitous answer to why is it scary to label oneself i think going back to even when i was young it was kind of this idea of like if i adopt this label that means i'm committed and i'll have to live up to it Mm. i'll have to dress for it i'll Mm. have to like i need to make sure that i'm living up to this label and and not being sure that i could do that even if the label was maybe appealing to me it's interesting because i feel like I actually kind of have come at it from a different side in my life where more of the fear of labeling myself is that I'm not necessarily sure I want to be involved with everything that's part of that label. Hmm. Like Mm, if the people, if the other people using this label start doing these things, like I don't necessarily want to be grouped in with them you know, it's like kind of almost the same thing, but from the other side of like, they're the ones fucking it up versus like, I'm the one who might fuck it up. I don't know. Well, okay. What yeah. kind of label falls under that? Oh, literally anything. Okay. Like, like we've talked about. Oh, it's how I feel about polyamory many times. Uh, and you've talked about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. That, that I found myself unconsciously at first using that word to describe myself less and less, even though I very much resonate with it and feel like it's actually probably the most appropriate label I have. But I think because as media coverage of polyamory has expanded and I've just seen more of these like, oh God, like really embarrassing or not well handled coverage or just Mm -hmm. really bad examples or just when I see what people like when I say the word polyamory and people are like oh what like sister wives I'm just like yeah I mean we're gonna get into that a little bit later more but yeah what yeah well I was just gonna say like with with that label thing so I was interviewed recently by Kat Black Mm -hmm. for her uh, YouTube show and the topic was relationship anarchy and she uh, reached out to, to her audience through Twitter or whatever and said, hey, I'm going to have a guest on to talk about relationship anarchy. What kind of questions would you want to ask him? And she said, like, one of the questions that came up or some variant of it came up quite a bit was like, ask him why he's such an asshole. Huh, and I geez. was just like, wait, what? Huh? Yeah. Right. <laughs> what does that even mean? Well, what what she explained to me based on her own experience and also the experience of a lot of her listeners who who tend to be women, her audience is mostly women, um, that they've had the experience of men 
abusing the label of relationship anarchy mm-hmm. to just be like, I don't want to be accountable for anything right. or responsible yeah. for anything. Yeah. No, I've definitely encountered people that yeah. way. And I feel like people do, we've talked about it before on this show long ago, but uh, people do the same thing with polyamory mm-hmm. of like, oh, it's just, well, I can adopt this label, but really it's just an excuse to do whatever the fuck I want and not really care about and it's, anyone it, else. And it's right? not even necessarily a conscious thing that they're doing that. I think sometimes it's it's kind of like the label goes through the shredder of someone else's interpretation. Right. You know what it means sometimes. Absolutely. And then also just like the stigma that comes along with that label as Mm. well. Yeah. Because again, I, for a very, very long time was very scared of calling myself bisexual just simply in, and I think again, yeah, like you said, because of all the reasons why people, will look at that and say like, okay, well, you're actually maybe just on one side of the fence or, or another. Mm. Or if I'm in a, you know, monogamous relationship with a male partner, mm. then you're not actually bisexual. Like that idea yes. or that, you know, yeah. it, with men, when they're, when they label, the, when they are bisexual and say, you know, proclaim to the world, I am bisexual. Oftentimes they will just hear no, actually you're gay or actually you're just waiting to be, you know, mm, to actually mm-hmm. come out as really gay. Like you're in this holding yeah. pattern or whatever until then. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really difficult to put yourself to be in that situation and instead just be like, well, I'm sexually fluid or I'm something else mm. because that is a little bit easier of a thing for people to swallow. Yeah. And it's so interesting you bring that up. I feel like, at least in my experience of being on the internet and in culture, Mm -hmm. um, Uh that I'm starting to see more people. First of all, I mean, I feel like, you know, the concept of bi erasure has been in the conversation recently. Um, But now I'm starting to see kind of more people talking about the facet of bi erasure that is like the erasure specifically of by people who are in a heterosexual seeming relationship. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and specifically, especially like women who are bisexual or pansexual, just basically non-straight women who are in a straight looking relationship. And yeah. how do we talk about those people? How do we, you know, how, you know, how are those people talked about? How are those people handled? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, all those kind of things. And I think that's really interesting and really good that that's starting to become a topic of conversation of like, yeah, this is kind of like just another level of erasure that happens is yeah. when someone who does say, yeah, I'm bi or I'm pan or I'm non-straight in some kind of way, but it's like, yeah, but you're in a relationship with someone who's... Yeah. And I know. think yeah. it can feel threatening to a number of people for whatever mm-hmm. reason, even just the idea that like, well, okay, I might get into a relationship with you and I am a straight male and you're, you know, a bisexual female, but what does that mean for the potential of like what you're going to be interested in? Mm -hmm. And I've definitely heard people kind of throw that out there. Like, am I always going to have to be looking around my shoulder of like people, you know, not just men, but also women or also anyone else if you're pansexual or whatever, that just everyone's going to be my potential competition. It's like that meme mm. that I saw floating around recently, uh, you know, that kind of takes pot shots at this idea that, you know, men and women can never be friends or mm. you can never be friends with like the gender that you're attracted to. And of course, people being like, well, what about bisexual or pansexual people? Yeah, and someone just responded like being friends like, at all. bisexual people don't have friends. They only have prey. <laughs> that's, yeah. that, I, I take offense to that. That's well, it was, I mean, it was joking, jokingly I said, but yeah. 
but, but yeah, that is kind of how people look at it, though. Yeah, I think that they can, yeah. Well, because I think the whole question is is like this thing of of your sexuality of like wanting to know whether someone else is gay or straight. That we often will ask that question of people, even if we're not necessarily interested in them mm-hmm. or we're not even at the point where we're like wanting to flirt with this thing but it's just like we think oh if i know that then i know how i should act toward them yeah I, I, and it's like it basically it's like are you someone who i think might have sex with me or not because i need to know that because it's mm-hmm. going to change how i behave around you completely and that in itself is weird well, that's buck wild <laughs> Like, it is, yeah, and just it, the audacity for like people in general, just to be like, well, you know, bisexual people or pansexual people are just attracted to everyone because obviously they're not going to be, and right. yeah, mm-hmm. just that assumption outright that you know they can't be friends with anyone because they're just going to be attracted to everyone and therefore they can't truly be friends with them is bullshit. So can I share some interesting stits and stats? Please. That, uh, actually, Emily, this was in one of the articles that you looked up yes. uh, in preparing for this one. So this was um, from a couple studies, uh, surveys, you should call them really, um, by YouGov, which I don't know if, are you familiar with YouGov? They're, they're the site that does surveys and stuff, and they just do gazillions of them. Is it a government thing? No. Yeah. Why I've does been, it call itself YouGov then? I don't I don't know where the name comes from, actually, Um, but they've they've been around for a long time. And what they have going for them is they tend to get very big numbers for their surveys. Right. These are not, uh, you know, as uh, you know, they're they're not like peer reviewed. Anyone can put their thing up on there and like Mm -hmm. pay money for them to get participants for it. They get the very large sample size. They get you the sample sizes. Yeah. So they did uh, these questions both in the UK and in the US where they were asking adults to rate their sexuality on the Kinsey scale, which is from zero to six, where zero is completely heterosexual, six is completely homosexual. And then obviously in between that is, is somewhere in between. And what was interesting about it is when you look at, they broke it out by age group. So like, for example, in, uh, in the US and in the UK, um, in the like 65, 60 plus, they did slightly different age groups in each, uh, area. Mm-hmm. So they're not, not a one-to-one match, but, um, only 7% identified, um, as anything that wasn't completely zero or completely six. Interesting. Only 7%, right? So a very okay, small so number identified, identified totally on the extremes. 7% were in the middle. Oh, 93% really? were one extreme or the other. Really? So this is people over 60, 65. Oh, okay. Right? Got it. And then as you go down the like 45, 40-ish to 65 range, similar, like it comes up to, I guess in the US was eight and in the UK was 16% were somewhere in the middle. But again, mostly polarized on the sides. Now, if we jump down to the 18 to 24 in the UK, 43% identify somewhere in the middle. Hmm. that's not totally all the way close to half exactly and what's what's interesting about that too is that 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 remaining number the i guess here they maybe had some people who didn't answer because these numbers don't add up to 100 yeah but 52 percent were either completely gay or completely straight self-identified right Mm -hmm. so this isn't even saying like 52 percent straight this is 52 percent gay or straight yeah 43 percent 
somewhere not quite a hundred percent in the middle, in the middle Either, yeah. from how they self-identify in the u.s interestingly a lower percentage we had only 29 percent who identified somewhere in the middle but the age range was 18 to 30 as opposed to 18 to I 24 mm-hmm. which i actually think i would bet that even skewed it, it a little yeah, further probably um, and that we have more hangups here probably, but yeah, I yeah. was like, it's just a more puritanical society. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it is interesting that it's, you know, I mean, clearly there's a generational thing going on where we've seen, thankfully, a rise in acceptance mm-hmm. of not only just not being straight, um, but also not being either extreme necessarily mm-hmm. yeah. and, uh, even putting them as extremes on like, as though they're on the side of a scale. I'm like, I don't even know if I really agree with that sure Um, you know clearly with more acceptance and with people feeling safer to acknowledge like oh yeah like there is maybe contradiction or or just a multitude of ways that i feel in different situations toward different people as far Mm -hmm. as when it comes to things like sex or attraction or things like that that people are more i guess more able and willing to affirm that um however it feels like language wise and label wise we haven't caught up to that necessarily but i think this study shows good evidence for why younger people are more hesitant to use labels than maybe people were in the past is because it's like well they also just don't apply as well yeah Mm -hmm. right um and it's just it's yeah i guess it's just interesting though to see that even in a situation like this where you're not asking like what percentage of people identify with labels because you could make the argument like oh well young people just don't like labels as much but it's like no this is actually about like their attraction and seeing that that's also coming toward the middle right and it's that chicken or egg question of like are we less into labels because they just don't apply as well or because we're less into labels are we able to see more Mm, of this middle ground interesting Mm. well we're supposed to move on from this section but quick lightning round if you had to use a label to describe your sexuality i would use bisexual for sure and I'm I'm committed to that label now. Okay, you're committed to. Yes, <laughs> I'm. Uh, Is that your final answer? <laughs> yes, even even my mother, like when uh, the first or one of the first like openly bisexual senators was elected in Arizona, she was like all excited to tell me about it, Aww, which I thought was sweet. super adorable. That's really that's sweet. And I was like, thank you for acknowledging me. I stayed. Um, I stayed with a uh, uh, a couch surfer host mm-hmm. in in Rome. And uh, he was this great guy. Um, was that before you went to Shanghai? Or it was no, when? way before Shanghai. So oh, okay. when I first left to travel. Um, oh, then. Great guy. You know, it was like, it was so stereotypical Italian, like literally drove me around Rome on like the back of his Vespa and had this really thick Italian accent. And we had a great time. That sounds what a awesome. wonderful time. Um, anyway, but he was, we were talking about a lot of stuff and he talked about his ex-girlfriend and he was like, yes, my ex-girlfriend was a bee. Um, and so <laughs> we realized that like, maybe that couldn't work out for the relationship. And I was just like, a bee, she was a bee. What? A bee? A bee. And then he started to describe thought, it. It was like, oh, she was bi. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, didn't, was she black <laughs> and yellow and had a stinger? And maybe a little fuzzy. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, so I think of that now when people identify as bi. I'm like, oh, you're a flowers. bee. You're a little bee flitting oh, around. That's adorable. Yes. Honey bee. Jace, your turn. Gosh. Um, yeah, when when push comes to shove, I tend to go with pansexual. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the one I've come to, even though I, I will avoid using it at all costs to describe myself most of the time. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I definitely land 
I, I feel like pretty firmly as far as if I have to choose a label, pretty, pretty firmly in the pansexual camp, but I'm scared of it. Because because the thing is that it's like the label is a Pandora's box for me. Is that to then sure. explain the labels? Then I have to be like, well, my experience is mostly dating these kind of people, but then I find myself like really attracted to these kind of people. But then like with these kind of people, it's kind of more of like a demi-romantic, demisexual kind of thing. But then I thought that I was with way this way. And then I saw this really hot person one day and I was like, well, I guess I'm attracted to this kind of person also. And so for me, I've just kind of used <laughs> pansexual as kind of like the catch-all of yeah. like, mm. this is a much longer conversation and I'm still figuring it out. And even at the age of 31, I'm still learning about my sexuality and yeah. it's scary, but also exciting. Can my sexuality just be Eva Green? <laughs> just Eva Green sexual? Eva sexual, yeah. Green sexual. There you go. Oh. Green sexual. See, that to me invokes ideas of like you're just really like, turned like, on by nature. That's ecosexual. That's oh. Thing. So green well, sexual, ecosexual. Have you ever been out in nature while on a hallucinogen? <laughs> yes, you guys have. Or you all, rather. Okay, I'm going to just hop us straight back in with the hard-hitting questions again. We'll kind of do this in reverse order. Okay. Let's talk about labeling gender. Okay. What do y'all think about what label you would use for your own gender identity? Why'd you get all quiet when you asked that? Like, I would just try an intimate, intimate Okay, mood, okay. You know, I don't want to make this into like a quiz show or something <laughs> tawdry like that. Got it. Not like the last section was. I would label myself she, her pronouns. Mm-hmm. But like, like as, a, as a woman, like cisgender? Woman, or? Cis, yeah, cisgender, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... Gosh, I want to like get right into the discussion. I mean, I, I use, you know, male pronouns and I use male, you know, man, masculine, whatever to define me. Uh, I do like to say that I like to hold on to those labels loosely mm. um, as opposed to like a lifeline. Mm. Um, and actually, uh, hold on loosely. <laughs> this is, uh, no, that's it not- was something that came up actually in conversation on, um, Billy Presida's show and mm. he had me on his show on the man whore podcast. And he was uh, kind of asking me about gender and my identity and stuff uh, kind of from a place as a guy being sort of afraid of losing his labels of being like heterosexual or being masculine or being a man or something of like kind of holding onto those tightly and being afraid. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite say this as simply then we talked about it a little bit more, but I kind of wanted to be like, if you just like loosen up your grip and let go of those things a bit, it's so freeing. <laughs> I um, really recommend it. Interesting. But yeah. What about, what about you, Dedeker? Oh gosh. Uh, I don't know. I think about this a lot. Honestly. Really? Mm-hmm. This I, one in particular. Interesting. I guess I feel, I feel most, I don't know. Honestly, when I think about it, I just start to like spiral myself up into like all this self doubt because I think most of the time I feel pretty good. Like I don't have a sense of like dysphoria necessarily. Mm-hmm. I don't have a sense of being frustrated with like the, you know, what was assigned to me at birth. And there are definitely some days where I feel pretty affirmed and pretty good and like, yeah, sure. Like cisgender lady, mm-hmm. that's me. Um, but there are other times where I, I feel really drawn to the idea of being more fluid mm. and a little more non-binary. I mm-hmm. think I've, sometimes struggle with that. And sometimes like, again, I just kind of spiral myself and like, just have way too many thoughts about it because I think, and I've also seen people online talking about this as well, that sometimes I struggle under this idea of like, well, to be non-binary, you got to change your whole look, you know, like I'm not nearly androgynous enough Mm. to identify as non-binary or to even flirt with that. And I know that that's not 
true. Like it really doesn't matter, you know, um, or yeah. I mean, it matters for some people, but, but I know for me, I'm like, well, whatever. Like I know that I can feel the way that I feel and I don't have to like try to like totally change how, you know, the way that I dress or the hair that I have or the makeup that I do that I feel comfortable with now. But, but that is just a weird thing that I tend to get hung up on is like yeah, times I- that I feel like I would love to kind of stray outside of feeling just so dang cisgender all the time mm. because I don't know if it serves me 100% of the time, but then I feel a little bit trapped sometimes of like, uh, but it, it feels like my avenues for that feel kind of all or nothing, which may be just something that I'm projecting onto it entirely. I don't know. Sorry. That was like a bunch of like word vomit. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's the best really way I can explain it. Like I, I can't. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I definitely haven't personally like, it labeled myself as anything but like she, her cisgender Mm -hmm. simply because I don't want to misrepresent like what people who are uh, non-binary go through Mm -hmm. and the challenges that they face regarding that. Because I think most people, when they look at me, when they look at me will see me (laughs) as, you know, automatically like, that's a person who is a woman. And I say that I am she, her. Exactly. Now, the difference with me specifically is that when I open my mouth, something else entirely happens. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been the way uh, that I've gone through life since I was 13 years old, so much that I often, many times get asked if I am transgender. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, I've had, you know, in a much worse way, I've had men usually ask me, if I was born male mm. Um, mm-hmm. or if I am male, but, you know, look like I'm not or whatever. I mm. uh, And this again, like, I don't want to put out there that that is a difficult thing because honestly, it's not. It's just to be it's a thing like, no, this isn't the case. You know, you are incorrect person. But, but but I do. It does put me in a situation of often being like I embrace the side of me that is in many ways like the masculine energy mm-hmm. because I think that you know my mother I grew up around my mother who has so much of both masculine and feminine energy and I think that's something that a lot of like woo-woo like people <laughs> tend to talk about know, more now yeah. right. but I, I think that there is a lot to be said for that and in that way I mean I feel empowered sometimes in you know wearing a pantsuit and feeling really you know, badass in a way that maybe I wouldn't in a dress, for example. Mm. Now, other people might have the experience of feeling really empowered in a piece of clothing that they maybe didn't used to feel as though they could wear kind of thing. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I do think it is interesting just in your experience, just the way that your body is and Mm -hmm. like your vocal cords are that it does. I guess very different. It just forces you to confront that more regular confront people's perceptions yes you know more regularly and like i think really serves as a reminder of like wow this is all based on these constructed perceptions absolutely i mean yeah reading that buddhist book Uh as well that that you had Uh us read i thought was really interesting because because like life in general so many times is our perception Mm. and not reality Mm -hmm. and that goes for so many things it goes for this question in general right and that we can never like 
truly know, I think, unless we ask. And mm-hmm. there's a difference in asking rather than just automatically assuming and then being told that you're incorrect. Mm, right. Yeah. And I think that that's hopefully where the narrative is starting to go yeah. as opposed to just assuming being the first course of action. Yeah. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy, or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Let me drop something else in there. Please. Other questions that I've had around when I think about my own gender identity is sometimes I've also talked myself into some weird places of wondering, uh, do I have a desire to start leaning more masculine sometimes or kind of more non-binary because that's how I feel or because it's appealing to think about getting access to more male privilege. I, I freaking Sometimes hear you. Sometimes that's been like, because I think that women already, especially, you know, cisgender women already get this message of like, you need to adopt male traits and in order to be successful, yeah. like assertiveness or aggressiveness or confidence or a lack of apologizing or whatever it is. It's like, we're already told that. And so sometimes I'm like, but gosh, is that wrapped up in that of this idea? Like, you know, so, so these are the kind of things where it's like, because I love and hate to think about these things so much that I end up in these weird places where I could never feel like I can land on solid ground as far as it relates to me. Can I ask you something, Jace? Because I've definitely heard that exact same thing said from the other perspective. Really? Yes. That like, there's privilege and a lot of like amazing things that come with being a woman that men don't automatically get just from being men. And I don't know. And that, that access to that in a way. And I think that Jace, we've had some conversations about this loosely, just that like, you know, there are moments where I feel like I've heard you say, like, I want to be construed as pretty or whatever, like in this way. 
and mm. that like women might automatically like that might be a trait that they are thought of perhaps whereas mm. a guy that might not be the first thing that comes to mind. Well, it's kind of what we got into a little <laughs> bit on the episode where we talked with with Cosmo Means and mm, Melissa Mango yeah. about um, receiving healthy objectification from yeah. your partner. Mm-hmm. That it's yeah. something that right, women yeah, that tend came to up receive in that a lot episode, and men yeah. don't mm-hmm. tend to receive very much at all. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, I'm sure this is different for, for different men who feel that way, but I, I feel like some of the some of the desire I could also see for letting go of the male identity and kind of envying what being female has Mm -hmm. is I would almost say more that there's in some ways more flexibility in how you're allowed to behave. Yeah. um, As opposed to men who tend to enforce upon each other, a very kind of strict limited set of what behavior is acceptable. Yeah. There definitely is certain ways in certain ways. But one of the benefits I think of, all the different feminist movements has been expanding the channel and expanding the options of like what you can be. And also while you're also a woman mm-hmm. um, and different ways of being female or feminine and that for specifically cisgender men, that's less of an option. There yeah. hasn't been as much of a movement to broaden, to broaden that what that being that a man yeah. means, yeah. whereas yeah. there has been a very concerted effort to try to broaden what being a woman means. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, very interesting. I wanted to to talk briefly about using cis when describing yourself. Um, and this is something that someone brought up for the first time uh, in our patron group, in the Facebook group, I think it was probably now a couple of years ago. Um, but kind of bringing up that when people in their self-introduction say like, I'm a cis man or a cis woman, they kind of, they ask the question of like, why are you specifying cis? Mm. Because what it seems like is you want to be sure everyone knows mm. that you're really this and you're not hmm. one of those fake ones. Huh. And they didn't say these words. They were much more diplomatic about this, but <laughs> I feel like that's kind of what, what they were getting at yeah, was this really idea of like, and, and it was interesting because at the time I hadn't considered that way of looking at it. And I saw it more like, Oh, well, by acknowledging cisgender is, is acknowledging privilege in a way. Well, is acknowledging the fact that there are other things and that this is a label worth like knowing about, I guess. Mm. But I actually, after hearing that, I was like, no, actually, this makes a lot of sense that to, for cisgender people to like latch onto and use cisgender for themselves is kind of in a way like trying to be like, no, I want to hold on to this privilege. Mm, yeah. A- and interesting. in itself is, is again, like othering people. It's like, no, it doesn't matter if I'm cis or not. What matters is just what my gender is and what pronouns I tell you to use. Well, I think it may depend on context in talking about these things. Okay. How so? Cause, cause well, cause I don't, I don't think it means it's like never use cis to describe yourself. You know, I might I go know, that like, far. I might go that far. Really? To be honest. Yeah. Well, because I think, for instance, I just can't if, think of an example if I'm when talking about like my access to privilege, mm, okay, I'm going sure, to acknowledge sure, sure. I, am I have a, privilege as a yeah. cisgender person. Sure. Right. I guess we'll see where that identity goes in the future. But <laughs> yeah. But as for it is for now, it's like I have access to privilege as a cis person, mm, you yeah. know. Sure, and so yeah. That's true. Like, but I understand also in other contexts, I think that makes sense of kind of being like yes, I want to hang on to this and make sure that people know that I'm a quote unquote, like real 
man or woman. Mm. Right. And I think it can also be something of depending on the context, you can also be setting up an expectation of like, well, if I'm indicating that I'm cis, I expect a trans person to indicate that they're trans. Yeah, right. and, and that can be a problem. problem. Absolutely. Depending yeah. on the situation. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge that like language can be really challenging for those who want to start steering in the direction of being uh, or if having language be more non-gendered because we in our, I think like just commonplace terms are thrown around like guys or like, mm-hmm. Hey man, or like mm-hmm. dude or whatever mm-hmm. along those lines. And I know for myself, like those are things that I say on a regular basis. And this show has actually been a really great place for us to work on taking that out of the equation. Um, because I think even if it's, easy for us to just slip into that it can minimize those who feel hurt or um personally like maybe attacked by those or who words. just feel left out by yeah those words. absolutely any of the above um and i know like it's a teachable moment whenever we hear about it from people who listen to this podcast to remind us like that that's a thing that we should at least be aware of um but it's it's difficult for sure like it can be and that's that's something for me uh, absolutely to continue working on even just in my daily life to like practice getting out of the habit of saying those words and those gendered things. So we were reading this article uh, before this uh, that was talking about tips for how to like how to get more used to using uh, different gender pronouns when a loved one tells you that, um, you know, they tell you what their gender pronouns are and it's something different than what you've been used to. It's Mm -hmm. something different than what you've been using. Um, and one of the things that this article recommended was practicing with a friend, which I thought was really interesting. It's saying, find another person who is a friend or another loved one of this person. And just like, be really honest with each other about like, let's practice talking about this person using the correct pronouns Mm -hmm. to just get in the habit of it. I thought that one was really interesting, but Another one that I thought was particularly good was it talked about learning to pause slightly before responding in conversation. And as a little footnote, it was like, this is actually a good thing to just do in general. Yeah. Don't just like, (laughs) don't be reactive. Yeah. Yeah. And then related to that was to kind of be aware, are there certain phrases or situations where I tend to mess this up more often? Yeah. Um, and often it will be things that are just stuff you're very used to saying or right. those times when you're guys, not man. Yeah, the guys, right. man yeah. Or, yeah. when you're not thinking so much about what you're going to say and you're just blabbing it out. Totally. And uh, that one, I was like, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. It's like, I'll be great about someone's pronouns. And then in that moment where I'm just like in the heat of conversation, bam, 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 not pausing and actually thinking about what I say. Mm-hmm that's when I'll fuck it up and I won't even realize it until later or until it gets pointed out to me. And then I'm like, yeah, you're right. And so in this case, it recommended like, if you can identify what those things are, practice those things, practice Mm -hmm. different phrases, different things. And I think that comes from learning how to pause a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've, I know that we all have tried to do while we're recording this show, at least is to just like have that little bit of mental pause to just evaluate, like, 
am I saying guys, <laughs> you know, am I saying right. dude or like, yeah, man, when I don't mean to, yeah. um, to try to, to try to get better about that, but it but is do it in real life too. But right. yeah, it's, it, it's definitely challenging, but I, I like I think, those tips. I think we've shared this on the show before. Um, but, uh, a really great analogy that I read that helped me to really reframe kind of the appropriate way to respond when you do make a mistake with someone's pronouns mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is, um, or if someone's pointed out to you, oh, actually this person is this pronoun or, and it doesn't even have to be pronouns. It could be, oh, it's, you know, it's better to use this word rather than this word or mm-hmm. this or whatever it is that it's like, treat it as though a friend is like, hey, you have something in your teeth, by the way. And <laughs> you're just like, like oh, Oh, okay. I'll I'll fix that, and then you yeah. fix it, and then you're like, okay, and then we get back and it's to like, our thank day. Thank you for telling me. You know, like yeah. it's worse if you like break down crying and you're super embarrassed. You're like, oh my god, oh my god, I can't believe it. you like, it's yeah, just worse for like, everyone. Whoa, you're just or like making this about you, you right get now. Mad, mm-hmm. or if you deny that, you're like, no, I don't have something in my teeth. You <laughs> yeah. know, yeah. Um, yeah. or like, are you with them? Like, no, no. What are you talking about? I don't have something in my teeth. Um, yeah. Uh, so that was just, I, I don't remember who I got that analogy from, but I do remember when I heard it, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense to yeah. just kind of like in the moment, like you just roll with it. Cause it's like, honestly, we all get stuff stuck in our teeth sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh-huh. I like that very much. Yeah. <clears throat> just yeah. gotta roll with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, shall we move on to yeah. the last category here, which is labeling relationship styles, which we kind of touched on a little bit before. Yeah. At the very beginning, we talked about that a little bit, um, about like, do you use the label relationship anarchist or polyamorous well, or monogamous oh, or what? We should go around at this point. <laughs> oh dear. Well, gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh shoot. Oh dang it. Do you, you didn't prepare an answer I, for this one? Uh, dang it. Okay. <laughs> well, figure it out on the fly. Yeah. Emily, do you want to start? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am currently monogamous. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm in a monogamous relationship. And I think that's an interesting distinction right that there. Is, well, yes. I think, yeah, it, I'm, I'm in a monogamous relationship and it's really hard to label <laughs> like a, a just like thing because I've been, I've been polyamorous and I've been monogamous. I've been open. Mm-hmm. I've dated five people at once who right. were only vaguely aware of one another, mm-hmm. you know? And so... Right. Well, it is kind of like we, interesting we are yeah. converging back on that same thing as with sexuality mm-hmm. where it's, um, I think it's becoming harder to just extrapolate, oh, your relationship, quote unquote, orientation is just what you do. Yeah, I feel I, I because think... of the fact that that we can have instances where people are much more fluid or like, you know, I know the new hot term from that blog post that was going around was like ambiambrous, 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 wow. yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, but so I think it is hard to just be like, I'm a monogamous person. I'm a non-monogamous person. Um, but some people definitely do. A lot yeah. of people that it's we true. know will be like, well, I am inherently monogamous it's or true. I am inherently polyamorous mm-hmm. or you know, Mm non-monogamous, but I don't, I think it's just really hard for me to go either place right? Mm -hmm. because I definitely, I don't know what I am inherently am. I am the relationship structure that is, you know, going to be fulfilling for me at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I will say non-monogamy made me, you know, open my eyes to a vast wealth of possibilities that wasn't ever 
right. a thing that I would have been, right. you know, around before or interested in before. Well, and I think that's before. the same thing is that, again, we're becoming more cognizant of yeah. all the wide variety of options that we can have for relationships, but our language hasn't caught up to it yet because yeah. we're still calling it non-monogamy for heaven's sake. Exactly. Like, it's like monogamy or not. It's, you know, yeah. One. It's, yeah. it drives me up the wall sometimes when I even sit and think about it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. really, this is the best we got is just calling it yeah. non-monogamy well, calling or it ethical non-monogamy. Not. Like, yeah. can yeah. we not come up with a better word that's not just like polyamorous relation or whatever anyway well what about <laughs> y'all soapbox for another time <laughs> right, right. Yes. um yeah i mean i guess kind of like with dedeker's question before of like if i had to pick a label the one i tend to gravitate toward more now is relationship, relationship anarchy. anarchy yeah however um i will try very hard to never use that label just by itself because I don't yeah. think I don't think it stands up on its own. I think it's a label that you need to explain. Yeah. At least I find I need to explain because of all the stuff we talked about before, right? Mm. Of either just a complete like, huh? Or just total misunderstanding of what it is by guessing from the words, which they imagine more like pipe bombs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Or this like, I've had really bad experiences with assholes using this term. And so, mm. right. So kind of like no matter which direction it goes, it's not going to be accurate. So yeah. I'll really only use it as a conversation starter to be like, let's talk about relationships mm. and yeah. the different ways those can look. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Come up with anything yet? Oh gosh. Um, the weird thing is that, if I was under duress, I'd be like, my relationship orientation is that I am <laughs> in a relationship with Jason, with people. Alex. And like, that's, <laughs> right. that's like all Done. I would say. I'm like, that's all I know. All I know is I'm in a relationship with these two wonderful people. And that's all I can tell there you. you like, I'm sorry. Please stop asking me questions. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, again, like. I don't know, because I definitely won't prescribe to the idea that like, which I think a lot of people will, that like their significant other is pretty much like the most important person on the planet. Mm -hmm. I think that my significant other is an incredibly important person in my life, but I also think there are a lot of other people in my life that are incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, one does not trump necessarily the others. Okay, so see, that's interesting. And I like using the term relationship anarchy, Mm -hmm. but again, I will do the same thing and very rarely use it on his own. I honestly, I mean, really at the end of the day, I feel like my understanding of the label polyamory is more what resonates with me, Mm -hmm. but I tend to end up just giving this really long winded explanation of like, well, I'm like non-monogamous and like, you know, polyamorous, but like kind of with relationship anarchy tendencies, but I don't know, you know, um, yeah, but but and, and part of it is also because I don't feel like I'm relationship anarchist enough. Well, to, exactly. To just, That's on all of these, I though. Know, right. It's like what? But what is enough? And, but, and then, of course, yeah. I have the question of: Do I even want to be quote unquote relationship anarchist enough? Whatever yeah. that means. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so exactly. I again think myself into this tizzy where I end up just getting frustrated and just being like can't i just like have relationships that i want to have and no yeah. one asks me questions and about we what word i we use for fuck? it and just people right. leave me alone and let me be happy please like yeah. please please yeah yeah well and i've also found for me it's like can i with with all of these i guess like can yeah. i give you answers where like 
what, what you're really asking me and what I'm really saying doesn't just have to do with who I may or may not want to have sex with. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that, that's the thing I've, I've recently, at least in my life, that's become the thing that's so tiring to me mm-hmm. is like how, how, like how much of this conversation is really just coming down to like, who do you bang? Might you want to have sex with me? Uh-huh. Yes or no. What about these other sets of people? Yes or no. Mm. What are the rules around that? Would you want to, but can't, or can you, right? It's like all about that, even though this is like considered normal, polite conversation for like the workplace. And when I started mm. thinking about that way, I was like, this is fucked up Yeah, that we think these are like, that these are acceptable questions and conversations to be having in that sort of a professional environment. So I mean, kind you know, of at the end of the day, rant. yeah, like it's none of anybody's business unless we want to make it their business. I don't know. Well, it reminds me. So, um, someone on Instagram, so, you know, the Nathan Pyle comics, the one, the strange world about the aliens in human situations. I think so. You know, okay. yeah. Yeah, they've Go been on. super hot recently. Um, mm-hmm. Someone made a parody comic called the straight world, oh. which is about yeah. these aliens where yeah. one of them's like, you know, there's these three aliens in the panel and two of them are holding hands. And the one who's separate is like, Oh, I see that you are holding hands with someone who appears to be of the same gender as you. You must explain to me how you copulate right now. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And it's, and it's exactly, and it's, yeah, that's exactly what we yeah. do yeah. in these situations. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, that's kind <laughs> well, of what we're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've definitely heard people in various blogs say that like they don't want to necessarily be associated with polyamory because Mm -hmm. a lot of people abuse that Mm -hmm. term. Um, And I'm sure, but then it's like, well, what is open? What is non-monogamous? What is whatever? And like, you know, I, gosh, this person at work that I, you know, saw the other day that was talking to me about the podcast, he was like, well, you know, I just realized right now that like, that's what I am. I'm polyamorous. He's like, you know, because I have a relationship with my baby mama and then three other women. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I take care of all of them. I pay for all of them. And, you know, they're only with me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's like a one penis policy kind of situation Mm -hmm. that you've got going on. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I hope these people have autonomy Mm -hmm. from you and stuff. But to me, that's not polyamory either. Right. And then that starts to get into this uncomfortable conversation around what is gatekeeping and what is not. Because yeah, I'm very much on I the mean, same page. No, I'm you. very much on the same page yes. where I'm like, oh, that doesn't look like ethical no. polyamory yeah, to me. I'm not comfortable bleh, associating yeah. with that. But at the same time, I mean, some people, I suppose, do enter such a dynamic willingly in theory and everyone's super happy about it. I don't know. I just know that like in groups that are mostly populated by unicorn hunters, like the argument always is like, well, we just do polyamory different from you. And so you need to not be so judgmental just because our polyamory is different from you, which is like, okay, sure. I get your point. uh, But I have many other arguments to make, but that's not what this is supposed to be about. Jace, please change the subject. Well, (laughs) I actually kind of want to just like pivot actually on the same question. Or Nickelback. (laughs) No, like pivot, pivot on the same, same thing here. So this question of, well, I see other people doing this thing with a label. What's my response to it? Hmm. And one response, and we've talked about this a little bit, is like, well, I'm going to not use that label anymore because I don't want to be associated with those people, Ugh. right? Yeah, yeah. The other side of it is this like, well, no, I want to like, like, I don't want to just like give up on this thing that was important to me at one time. Instead, I want to like really work 
to help still make this a good thing, um, which is maybe on the one hand could be called gatekeeping, but on the other hand could be called like, no, I'm actually trying to like keep the integrity of this thing that was important to me. Mm. Yeah. And to, to use an analogy or not an analogy, but like to use an example from my own life, totally not connected to non-monogamy mm-hmm. um, is when I was in college and was Christian and was still thinking about going into seminary and becoming a pastor. Whoa. Um, How the mighty have fallen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that for me at the time, my approach was, you know, like I'm a Christian, Mm -hmm. but I see Christians out there doing terrible things and saying terrible things and being very exclusionary and being very hateful and what have you. And my reaction was, I want to be a force toward making Christianity be a better thing. How'd that work out for you? Well, I didn't end up doing it. Well, you are on I mean, you, here, here yeah, I am. and yeah. also like, you know, a podcast about the Bible where we drink. Yeah. Oh, come yeah. Coming back around. Yeah. yeah. I'll get, I'll be a pastor yet. No. Um, <laughs> but, but, but you know what I mean? Like my approach at that time was like, I want to be a force to make more people who use this label be more in line with what I think is the good sides of this and less mm-hmm. of the bad sides of this. Yeah, so then fair. like with polyamory, I see a similar thing where it's like, do I fight to try to make this thing better or do I just kind of abandon it as a label mm-hmm. for myself entirely? I don't know. And that's, that's it's an ongoing debate. I mean, I have days where I'm much more on that side of things of like, no, I'm just going to invest in education and being out and talking about my experience and showing people, you know, like, no, this is the way that I practice and this is my identity and this is what it means to me. Um, but then like every couple of weeks or so, Google News feeds me some article about polyamory and I cringe preemptively. Pre, I cannot yeah. tell you. I, I, I cringe literally every day from the is, feed I get yes, in Google. Preemptively <laughs> wow. cringy because it's just like a 90% chance that what's in that article is not going to make me happy. It's not no. going to make me feel like, oh, I'm so proud that I have this label and that these are the people I associate with. I'm just like, no. And that's sad. That's I sad. Mean, I don't want to feel cringy about that. I think all three of us, when we started this podcast, really... We're like, we are polyamorous, hear us roar. We are poly and proud. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, yes, that was our thing. That mm-hmm. was your that thing was on thing. Utopia. It was freaking hashtag. No, yeah, you, hashtag you didn't, you didn't choose it, though. It was kind no, of it was, assigned it to you. it was thrown at me. Be that right. as it may. But still, yeah. I think you, like, you kind of still ran with it for a little while afterwards. Oh, yeah. I think we all did for a yeah. while. But, you know, I find it very interesting that, like, as time goes on, we are looking at kind of... not bigger picture stuff per se, but just like all avenues and that Mm -hmm. they've led us to, you know, let's start talking about things that are just like, how do we do relationships better? How do we be better people? How do we like, you know, not put ourselves in situations where we're talking about, you know, where we accidentally marginalize someone where we like change our language and Mm. be better about that and be like better advocates and kinder people. Mm -hmm. I think that all is important in a way that maybe just like figuring out your label maybe doesn't matter in the same way that that does. I, not that like, it might not matter to some, it might definitely matter to some people and being out and proud and stuff is really important to a lot of people. But I appreciate that. Like, all of the above can be correct. Yeah. Well, Dedeker, you were talking when we were getting ready to record about that kimchi cuddles 
Oh uh, yeah. Strip yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, say that again. Um, yeah. There's this wonderful strip and and you'll just kinda have to Google it. But Kimchi Cuddles, who's pretty well known for doing a lot of uh comics that are, you know, polyamory and non-monogamy focused, um uh they put out this comic where in the first panel there's this person who has the sheet of paper that just like says label on it and they're like really mad they're like oh labels like who needs them i don't need this they're so restrictive and they crumple up the sheet of paper and throw it over their their shoulder yeah. and they walk out of frame and then a new person comes into frame sees the crumpled piece of paper on the ground picks it up sees the label and is like oh my goodness i'm so glad that i found this yeah um mm-hmm. and so i think that's a really good way of highlighting again kind of this light side and dark side of labels that on the one hand they can be restrictive. They mm-hmm. can cause things like gatekeeping. You mm-hmm. know, you can have all this anxiety around measuring up or meeting the label or whether or not you qualify for the label. But then on the other hand, it can also be a source of great affirmation and yeah. validation and give you access to community. And at the end mm-hmm. of the day, just give you a linguistic shortcut. Totally. Yeah. You know, to help Absolutely. convey who you are to people. You're in a relationship with this dog right now. Yeah, this dog is all up in my business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Also, it's like for the people watching the YouTube video, Dedeker and I are sitting a ways apart from each other at 90 degrees at this and table. The, yeah. And in, dogs... my, in my image, you can see the dog's <laughs> tail wagging. And in hers, you can see the dog's head. The dog's this is a very, head. very large dog. Yeah. Um, for uh, our lovely Instagram followers, I'll, I'll show you eventually. Yeah. On we'll, Instagram we'll when this comes out. Yeah. In our uh, page. In our, in our patron only discord we have a whole channel oh, that's yeah. just fur buddies or yeah. fur, fur babies for yeah. it's just pictures of people's animals or people with their animals uh it's pretty wonderful that's right um so yeah i guess just kind of our takeaway for this is just kind of to be aware of these that there is good uses of labels and not good uses of them and to kind of explore what they are for you but also be respectful of what they are for other people you know what I mean? Like, yes. like what those could mean for other people, both in negative and positive ways. Right. And so we'll just reaffirm what we've always said on Multiamory for a long time, which is that labels really, if you're going to use them, they should serve you. Um, it shouldn't feel the other way around. Like you have this pressure to live up to this particular label. Mm. They're there to to be something that's useful for you that maybe makes your life a little bit easier, whether it makes it easier for you to find community or easier for you to explain to people, you know, how it is that you want to be treated or how it is that you want to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately at the end of the day, even if you use a label for your relationship or your gender or your sexual orientation, you're probably still going to have to have multiple conversations oh for sure to explain that or to clarify that depending on the context and depending who you're talking to yeah so we want to hear all about labels from all of you and the best place to share your thoughts about this episode with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private facebook group or discord chat you can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistant is Nicole Samra. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. 
Full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.